Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 160 for Monday, September 27th, 2021. My name is Joel Duggan and joining me as always is my friend Johnny, or as some of you may know him better, Pixel Riffs. Hello, sir. Hello. Uh, we've been having a grand old chat in the pre-show in the render distance about uh, Star Wars Visions on Disney+, Plus, the video game Sable, out recently, and why Joel had to iron his entire new couch. Uh, so if you'd like to hear about any of that and more, you can get in on the extended conversation by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash thespawnchunks. Among other benefits, that gets you access to the render distance, which is a little pre- and post-show recording where we just like to shoot the breeze and talk about whatever warming up for the main show. But the main show starts here. This is going to be our chunk mail dispenser episode for the month, so lots of email to get through. But first of all, Joel, what have you been doing in Minecraft this week? So I've been spending my week uh, plugging away at the North Barracks build, uh, which I started last weekend uh, on the Citadel, and uh, it's coming along nicely. I've made some adjustments to the overall shape of the building, uh, added a tower, which houses stairs to get up to a second floor. Uh, this main building is meant to be kind of like a mess hall on the bottom or a meeting space, and then maybe like an infirmary or something on the top floor. I'm just kind of giving it loose kind of use cases, but I knew that I wanted top floor access. Uh, and the building looked more like a house than it did any kind of barracks. And so uh, by adding a square tower to the outside, which houses the stairs to get up to the next level, uh, a common thing in a lot of medieval builds, uh, then it adds kind of a little bit more of a robust kind of feel to it. Uh, and it was a significant change also to the entrance of this area where I added a gate. Previously, it was just a street that you would just turn left on and just go up the road. Uh, now with the gate, again, it feels more like a barracks. I went looking for different images of barracks and realized that most of them had walls around them and most of them had gates. Uh, and so I added a wall, which removed like a house that I wasn't happy with. Mm -hmm. And so that removed like a, I don't know what to do with this house. It's sort of just there because it's the same as everything else on the street. So now it's a gate tower and a wall, which has, it's again, it's more unique. Um, and kind of has more of a barracks feel to it. And I still haven't really done anything with the road itself. So like getting up into the barracks area with all the different um, bunks and, and different houses for the, the soldiers, I haven't done anything with that yet. But most of the time was spent fighting with the player scale gradients uh, on this house. I did more of the um, blackstone into uh, cobblestone and brick kind of vibe. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, not an easy thing to do when you're dealing with a build that's like nine by seven. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it, it was a little bit more challenging and there was a lot of letting go and saying, okay, it is fine for what it is. I can't really do anything more with this unless I want to take the Blackstone all the way up to the top. Not Blackstone, sorry, uh, Deep Slate. Um, but Tough has come in very handy. Um, still struggling to find something else to use with Deep Slate to create some texture variants. I used some Basalt. So not polished, not smooth, but regular basalt. And it works because I think I've used cobblestone in other places in the build. So it just looks like dirty cobblestone mm -hmm. when you put it in amongst the, the deep slate. Uh, so that tends to work a little bit. Uh, it still has more purple in it than I'd like, but, you know, it is what it is. Uh, and then last week I mentioned that I was working on the roof, which was smooth basalt. And uh, I liked it, but I felt very plain. I didn't feel like I could change it very much. And so again, I used uh, the same basalt, but most of the time I was using the basalt texture that's on the side of basalt. So like the streaky 
kind of um, granular looking thing as opposed to the end. Yeah, like the now vertical the end, texture of it. Yeah. Yeah, because the vertical direction of the texture, which I find I run into quite a bit lately, is that there are some textures, especially with deep slate and cobbled deep slate, um, where the textures are so similar, they might as well be the same. But because they're in different directions, they really don't work well together. And so um, I've had to try to find a neutral replacement. Now with basalt and smooth basalt on the roof, I wanted to use it in a horizontal way because then the ends would be hidden, but it doesn't work with this with the smooth basalt uh, in that way. It looks much better vertical. So I'm kind of having to just kind of grin and bear the fact that you can see these light colored cobblestone bits on the roof when you look down at it. Uh, it's not the end of the world. It looks a lot better in shaders than it does in real in in like the normal vanilla game, mm-hmm. uh, because the shader shadows tend to hide a lot of the bright, like lighter gray um, bits. And it just kind of makes me wonder, like if there is, if we need to have more of these directional blocks in the game, and if we do why don't they have like the similar texture on the end? Like it's, it's a way to get more textures to more to the players in a single block. But I find that very often I end up getting frustrated with trying to figure out how to find the right kind of texture variation in the game. I tried things like concrete powder and a bunch of other stuff, but it just didn't, they don't have the right tone because basalt has got so much of a purple hue to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I mean, it, it's, it's one of those things where it's a, it was an exercise in letting go. I'm happy with it now. And by adding a an addition to the roof from a geometry standpoint, I've broken up the basalt a little bit. And it it, it has helped um, kind of make it feel a little bit nicer. But it's definitely been um, a learning curve. And I like I, I did two two full streams this weekend. And the only thing I worked on was this one building in the entrance. That's how long it was kind of taking to figure out so um if people are out there and you know seeing a lot of content being created and struggling with their own builds i kind of wanted to to put it out there like sometimes it just takes five or six hours to work on a house <laughs> like it yeah. just sometimes it just takes that long when you're trying to get the right block combination and things are just not working right so don't beat yourself up if it's taking longer than you perceive it takes in content out there i think that there's a misconception sometimes with how fast things come together but um needless to say i'm happy with where it is now it might improve down the line if i get new blocks or if if i come up with a different idea but i'm happy with leaving it and moving on to the other parts of the build for now uh and then maybe revisiting it later yeah for sure no i i know that feeling like it does take a while to do something even like a fairly small build there's just some things that you just find yourself not happy enough with as you're going through the process and there are definitely some people out there who can build rings around you in terms of like the stuff they can get up in the shortest amount of time but like i i i I have that with mythical sausage on the empire's smp the man builds like nobody else and he has probably the largest area uh on the server at this point because it's more or less all he does like he, he weaves in a couple of like story elements into his videos but so much of his time is just spent building virtually 24 <laughs> 7 and so yeah like it you, you don't need to set your pace by these like building prodigies <laughs> who just go out there and do all of this stuff like i i, I know people are probably thinking about like what's going to happen to their world are, um, are they going to reset for 118 like you know trying to push projects to get done before any kind of major changes happen but you you are allowed to take your time with this kind of stuff and ultimately you end up happier with it in the long run yeah, I mean, and I'll underline the fact that I am coming up on a year 
in this area. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, the farm started like late November. I think I broke ground on the main gate to this town in December at some point. If not, it was the very first week of January. So like I'm going to be a year working in this medieval town area. And uh, I mean, I am looking forward to a break. Uh, I wouldn't mind if I could finish it up and like be done, you know, in the full year. Uh, but I also don't want to push myself to the point where like I'm just playing too much, you know, or or um, repeating a build. And, and like I, tr- I try to want to go where the inspiration takes me rather than forcing myself to do too much yeah. at once. But um, yeah, like it's it, it's been rewarding. And the other thing I always remind myself too is like I play on weekends. That's yeah. about the only time <laughs> I get in Minecraft. Like I don't spend days playing and recording and being able to get all this extra content done. Like if it's live on stream, that's what I'm playing. I don't really have a lot of time. Uh, to go in every once in a while i'll get like 90 percent of the way through something on stream and i'll have to go because of dinner or plans or something mm-hmm. and i'll pop in for a half an hour or 45 minutes later that night um to have better screenshots and to just be like you know i just i completely forgot to texture like the left side of this building i'm yeah. just gonna pop in and do it because it'll make my eye twitch <laughs> if i don't um but other than that like the only time i play is when i'm streaming yeah, I mean, as the saying goes, Rome wasn't built in a day, right? And No, exactly. And, and if it was, they had a pretty good build team. Um, so <laughs> uh, on, on Empire's SMP, speaking of, uh, I am working on, I'm planning out a build right now that is going to be based on an anthill. And this is going to be for my, for my desert empire. I kind of like the idea of there just being this kind of dense warren of buildings and structures and tunnels and archways and stuff all rising out of the desert in the background to contrast with all of the stuff that feels a lot more you know purposefully built and structured i wanted effectively something like a mountain project that i could have a go at and really throw a lot of time and energy into over the next little while without thinking too heavily about too many of the design elements uh, and so building stuff m- more organic and, and and terraforming stuff like that seemed like it'd be a a fun approach and also in line with some of the stuff i was building in this desert in the first place so that's my plan right now is to to get a bunch of you know uh stock images and stuff from online as reference material for sort of uh sandy kind of clay ant hills and then make this warren of tunnels this network of areas inside of it that can be residences it can be shops it can be like all sorts of stuff but that's that's my major project right now uh which is being uh held back a little bit by the fact that mythical sausage just blew me up along with all of my items uh so i've been been gearing back up a little bit but you know shots have been fired um it's all in the name of entertainment of course so it's all been very fun but uh yeah anyone who hasn't seen my empire's smp episode from today uh spoilers <laughs> i do get <laughs> i do get very badly blown up um but it's fine because on a multiplayer server the best thing is people are sharing resources everyone's gonna like you know have a couple of things left in reserve uh Fwip had just started a forge where he was like if you want your stuff upgraded to netherite i can do that so that's that's something that we figured out between us and yeah it was uh all in all uh not quite the tragedy it could have been it's the kind of thing though that it was like the one time on the Minecraft survival guide where I shot a creeper with a channeling trident just as it exploded, and then the lightning strike destroyed all my items when I got blown up by the creeper. So 
there are some things that like on a single player world are those rage quit moments that you think i didn't have any stuff on me i don't know where i just lost all of my items or i can guarantee that they're gone i'm gonna just put minecraft down for a while <laughs> but i feel like if you're on a multiplayer server then there's always people around you willing to help you pick back up again so i feel like that was a uh you know n not quite the the awful moment that it, it could have been and i think made for a pretty entertaining moment of the video um Outside of that, though, I've been working on another, a, a little turtle sanctuary in the desert. Uh, I think one of the things I want to do with all of my series in general, and not just the tutorial series where I'm trying to cover every aspect of the game, but is try and touch on aspects of the game that people don't really go to all that much, like turtle shell helmets, for example. I don't know if I'll end up wearing one, but at least reminding people that they exist and you can brew potions with them and stuff like that, I find kind of entertaining and it was also part of what we were doing last night with the clash of the creators which just came back for another event at the uh, the end of this month we uh did a we, we kind of revisited an event that i hadn't been part of before but it was uh 20 advancements and you start with 20 hearts of health instead of 10 and every time you gain one of the advancements you lose a heart of health and so there was a bit of strategy to what order you did stuff in and all of the tasks were a little bit further reaching and got into aspects of gameplay that you didn't necessarily do all that often uh so one of them for example was bring a zoglin to the overworld and kill it one of them was use a fishing rod on a ghast one of them was take damage from the void but still survive and there were a few other bits and pieces that uh you know, we're a little bit off the beaten path in terms of the survival progression of Minecraft and the mechanics players usually touch on. And so uh, we ended up winning that event. Uh, my team was myself, Silent Whisperer, iJevin, and Mr. Beardstone, and we absolutely crushed it. I was really, really pleased with the team. But once again, that gave me a couple of things to think about in terms of what aspects of Minecraft don't I see all that much and uh, what can I really think about uh moving into next to make my content a little bit more more interesting nice we actually have an email to that effect later which should be fun to dive into knowing that you've done the clash of creators enough now that you've got those experiences under your belt yeah definitely and we should move on to the email soon but first we've got the news and one of the other things i've been doing this week is checking out the latest snapshot and the bedrock beta so uh, let's get into the news Currently, the Minecraft Java Edition Snapshot 21W38A is out. There is a link to the full article on Minecraft.net in our show notes. Some known issues in 21W38A. This snapshot is not compatible with older worlds. Again, so to play in the snapshot, you will have to create a new world. World saving can sometimes take a very long time. If you see the world stop moving for a time, this is why. Changes in 2138A. Sprinting no longer reduced to walking when gently brushing your sleeve against a wall. And fixes to the distribution of ores. Ore distribution changes include that copper ore generates up to Y95 as originally designed. Increased the amount of copper in the world. And lapis generates in blobs like other ores instead of spread out. Sprinting changes. Previously, any collision with a block would reduce sprinting to walking. Now, for very minor angles of collision with a block, players retain their sprint. For a longer, larger angle of collision, the old behavior is retained. Technical changes in 2130, sorry, 21W38A. A new setting has been added for simulation distance. 
similar to the existing setting in Bedrock Edition. Entities will not be able to, uh, not be updated outside of simulation distance, allows higher render distance with less CPU load, a new slider in video settings on the client, a new simulation distance property in dedicated server properties, and work will continue on simulation distance with a goal of the setting also affecting block and fluid ticking. The maximum amount of background threads has been increased. Various background tasks, including world gen, are executed on background thread pools. Its size is equal to the amount of the available CPU threads minus one, but there was an upper limit of seven. Now this upper limit is 255. This should help higher end machines with world gen performance. The upper limit can be overridden by the max.bg.threads Java system property, for example, when running multiple servers on a single machine. Adding telemetry for world loading. I'm going to quote the Minecraft article here. In this release, we added reintroducing diagnostic tracking, which was part of Minecraft Java edition until 2018. We are bringing it back to better understand our players and improve their experience. Specifically, we hope to ensure stronger performance for the extremely heavy world generation in the second part of Caves and Cliffs update later this year. In practice, this can mean identifying technical pain points in the game, like how less powerful hardware performs in high complexity terrain. This information will also help us prioritize various aspects of development, balance, balance game features by leaning for instance, sorry, by learning for instance, that the goats are pushing every single player off the cliffs and lend new Minecrafters a helping hand after realizing that many of them get stuck on the same points. All data is treated according to the GDPR and CCPA best practices and is used to develop a better performing and generally more enjoyable Minecraft Java edition. At this point, the only implementation event is world load. Bug fixes in 21W38A. Uh, we'll have a full list of the, the bug fixes linked in the show notes. Uh, strongholds don't generate in 21W37A. That's been fixed. Big spruce trees don't generate in groves. That's been fixed. Dripstone caves can generate above the ground. They no longer will, but sad face from Joel. That sounds cool. Uh, too many aquifers on biome surfaces at Y63 and below, and aquifers often generate with harsh straight borders. Uh, again, the full list of bug fixes and a full explanation for the technical changes and other things for the back end are available on the Minecraft.net article. While you're over at Minecraft.net, you might want to check out the changelog for the Minecraft Bedrock Edition beta as well. We're going to have a truncated version of that in here because a lot of it is technical changes and bits and pieces. But added to the experimental features toggle is new world and cave generation when upgrading saved chunks below Y0 using the Caves and Cliffs experimental toggle. So chunks previously upgraded with Bedrock underneath, if you've done that in previous betas, will not see these changes. But if Effectively, anytime you go down to the bedrock layer, as it was previously in an upgraded world, all of those blocks of bedrock have been changed into deep slate, and that marks the transition between your pre-existing worlds and the world below, where caverns can generate underneath chunks that you already have saved. And this is our first look at the upgrade path for Caves and Cliffs Part 2, so potentially very interesting stuff here. 
This also applies to flat world generation. Uh, it upgrades older flat worlds to the new extended heights available with the Caves and Cliffs experimental toggle. New flat worlds generated using the Caves and Cliffs experimental toggle will generate starting at Y negative 64 and will of course have the full world height up to Y320 available. In gameplay terms, they fixed an issue in beta builds where flying above the world height limit was prohibited, so you're Elytra and the sky is no longer the limit, um, and it copper ore now generates, as it does in Java Edition, up to Y96 instead of Y64. In terms of non-experimental features, a full list once again is available at the Minecraft.net blog post, but the bee nests will now generate correctly. Uh, mobs which aren't fireproof now avoid pathing through fire. For vanilla parity, players are now able to activate elytra gliding while moving upward. Uh, so if you jump, you can activate your elytra more or less immediately. Uh, fossils are now much less likely to generate in and destroy other structures. Dungeons are no longer misplaced or missing outside of the Caves and Cliffs experimental toggle. Iron golems now only spawn on solid blocks, and wielded weapons now render properly on both pillagers and vindicators. Last but not least, we wanted to touch on the release of Minecraft Dungeons on Steam. We've talked about this in previous weeks, so we won't go into the full details here. I think we do have an email about Minecraft Dungeons coming up as well. Uh, but Minecraft Dungeons is available on Steam. We'll have links to that in the show notes as well. The base game is available for about 20 bucks US, and the Ultimate Edition is 40 bucks, uh, which includes the base game, all six DLCs, high-res digital artwork, and a soundtrack for the entire game, along with all of the DLC levels. So what did you think about the uh, bedrock changes? The bedrock change is really interesting, and that's kind of what I spent most of my time on. The snapshot for Java didn't really have a huge amount of stuff other than simulation distance uh, to cover, but I converted a backup of my RTX bedrock world to the latest beta and toggled that Caves and Cliffs experimental toggle and dug down basically through where the bedrock was previously. Um, it works really well. Um, obviously it all converts into Deep Slate, which is, you know, not too dissimilar from Bedrock in terms of its appearance, obviously a little less kind of staticky, um, but it's also harder to mine, so it kind of feels like, yeah, you have to mine down into that layer. And then beyond that, you start digging down and you start to find caves generating. Like, this is almost exactly as I envisioned it when they said we're going to be able to generate old stuff under new, uh, new stuff under old terrain. And, and it, it works super well. It, it also doesn't seem to count player-placed bedrock, because I, I dug down, I accidentally dug down right next to a lava lake, and so I had to, I, I broke some bedrock and then I had to replace it in creative mode, because I wasn't going to do all of this in survival necessarily. And um, I replaced some bedrock manually, and then when I converted the world, that piece of bedrock had not been replaced. So if you're using bedrock in your palette as like a creative builder or, or something and, and you're worried about upgrading your bedrock builds uh, and, and bedrock worlds into 1.18 it should be safe like as far as i can tell it doesn't just convert every single block of bedrock it's seen and so yeah and, and any way you've used that creatively is is not going to be a problem the most interesting thing i found was um honestly chunk borders outside of existing terrain they are smoothed out in a pretty effective but ultimately fairly noticeable way um and i i have a little bit more footage in in a, a recent video about this but uh 
where there are mountains starting to generate on the edge of a chunk border, they are not completely sheer. They're not like the most obvious chunk borders in the world. They have a kind of wavy um, gradient to them, which can be quite steep, but ultimately it feels like they've just kind of smoothed out the edges of the world with a kind of brush, and then that that terrain naturally kind of smooths down into whatever is adjacent to it. It was most noticeable along um, like lakes and oceans where the new terrain generation has taken over with a river or an ocean biome or a swamp even. There are sections where it kind of tips down into this very steep sea shelf almost. Um, but it doesn't just look like a hole has been cut out of your world and something else has been put there it's actually pretty effective. Um, there are a couple of odd features that happen as a side effect. Like, for example, I found a swamp biome adjoining new terrain, which uh, it was treating the mushroom blocks in a red mushroom that had grown in the swamp as though they were part of the natural landscape and the mushroom was just kind of the side of it was melting off into the ocean. Um, and obviously, like, when it comes to leaves and stuff where a tree has generated on a, a chunk border and it hasn't generated the other half of that tree, those are all cut off. So that's the places where it is most noticeable. Also, a couple of microbiomes popping up here and there where, naturally, biome placement is going to be completely different. Um, so probably some places that people who are interested in smoothing those joins can practice their terraforming. Ultimately, though, I think it's a really good start. And if they plan on iterating more on this, then I do think it's going to work out really well for the upgrade path for future worlds. Even if they left it at this right now, there would be a couple of broken water sources and air pockets and stuff to fill in. But the end result is looking very, very promising. Given where it's starting... I think there's a lot of promise. Uh, mm -hmm. Having done some world chunk border landscaping in my own world on the Citadel with a, uh, I think it was a, a, a series of glitched chunks that we had when we moved from uh, a realm originally uh, where we started to a private server. And somehow, somewhere we had a chunk of, of um, chunk of chunks. Uh, what do we, what do we call a chunk of chunks? It's like a herd of cattle. Um, <laughs> anyway, there was this large area in our spawn chunks that was um, really messed up. It, it looked like skyscrapers. Like we're talking 50, 60 blocks difference from one chunk to the next. Yeah. And it took a while to sort out. And then eventually uh, I found uh, and learned how to use the chunk editor and, and remove them that way. There are still some issues. But as someone that has spent some time smoothing out the border of an extreme chunk difference... Uh, trees are the least of your worries. You can mm -hmm. cut down a tree yeah. and just let the leaves despawn, and five minutes later, you don't even remember where the tree was. So, like, it's just it, that stuff is minimal at best. Same with the mushroom. Just chop down the mushroom, enjoy the mushroom blocks, and just move move on with your day. Um, but it's it's the weird stuff in the oceans and the rivers. I think that's going to be the most dramatic. Um, having seen some screenshots and videos and stuff like that. But um, again, uh, we know that. A lot of the Minecraft developers have got their own long-term worlds that they don't want to mess up. So there's a lot, you know, with not just personally, but also with the player base, also having a lot of long worlds. Uh, I um, have the advantage of having a small server of friends that we can all kind of get together and say, let's not adventure too far for the next couple of months. And let's, mm -hmm. you know, try to keep some chunk updates, you know, at the minimal as we roll over to 118. But, you know, there are also some points where we have 
run into this in the past, like the nether uh, and in some of our places that are nearer to our original build points, we'd like to have some new content closer by. Um, I generally go with using continental borders or like the edges of large land masses is kind of where I stop the chunk trimming because it leads to less chunk borders. I don't know if that's the case now though, because um, with me and uh, testing out some stuff in snapshots, like when I pop into a snapshot world to take screenshots for like, say the, the title card for the, the spawn chunks, I will often use the same seed as the Citadel just to kind of see where it gets me. And it looks nothing <laughs> like yeah. what we're playing on right now. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what that means going forward, whether that's how they are going to mesh things together, whether an existing seed has a different generation than a new seed would. I don't know. Um, but uh, it looks promising. Yeah, I, I kind of expect the, because of the changes they've been making to the kind of the temperature map of where biomes go, I have a feeling terrain generation is just going to be different. I don't think the, the same seeds are going to really produce the same results at all. And I believe the way it's been working, at least in the snapshots, I'm not certain if this is necessarily the case, is that some seeds generate completely different worlds to the point where there are fewer possibilities now for unique worlds. It's like 2 to the power of, you know, 48 instead of 2 to the power of 64 or something like that. So there are, there are a lot fewer worlds numerically speaking it seems like it's huge but the the amount of possibilities is still so vast that you'd never see them all so it, it's it's not like there are now only a hundred possible worlds it just seems like yeah a, a couple of things have been uh been changed around and cut down a little bit so potentially worlds are going to look very different but i think all in all that is for the better and it's great that they've now got a vision for what this is like it's very reassuring as a player i think to know that things are headed in that direction um so let, let's talk about the java snapshot a little bit briefly because uh the simulation distance slider is something that bedrock players will be very familiar with um and i think java players are probably going to if especially if they are legacy java players that, you know they've been playing java for a while are probably going to stick with having the simulation distance and the render distance at the same setting you know if you've got an eight chunk render distance you're probably going to want an eight chunk simulation distance as well because that's just what we're used to at this point if you can see it it has ai <laughs> uh you know if if, if, it, if right. it is around you if like a chunk is loaded in that has a redstone contraption if you can see where that build is you expect that it will still be ticking over you know your furnaces will still be smelting and so forth and so I think the concept of separating render distance and simulation distance is going to be confusing to some players at first. Uh, so I doubt I'll adjust it much, but I am lucky enough to have a very powerful PC. Um, so I think ultimately it's a very good thing to have the option for people with lower performance hardware, especially newer players coming into Minecraft, and especially when, like the changelog says, we are looking at uh, a much more taxing version of Minecraft when you consider all of the changes to the landscape. I think it's also really important that this is a configurable setting for the player instead of a behind-the-scenes tweak, and not just because of different people having different setups, but just in terms of 
player confidence because I think it's easy for players to dismiss improvements made behind the scenes where they've said we've just made chunk rendering faster for everybody at which point everybody goes on looks at the chunk rendering and goes no you haven't and you know they just have to kind of take Mojang's word for it that some stuff has changed and there are always going to be anecdotal cases in which it doesn't work for certain people whereas tactile features like a simulation distance slider are good for players because it feels like they have some agency over the game's performance like it's something like being able to turn down particles or you know even going so far as some of the the tweaks that you can make in player created mods like optifine where you have a little bit more fine tuning over some aspects i think that gives the player a lot more power in terms of you know understanding that they can make a difference to the way their world loads and and their own pc's performance instead of just relying on almost like you know assurances from the developers that things are going to perform better as someone that has had some form of minecraft performance issues since 117 was released uh, with an asterisk that i'll get to in a second i'm hoping that for those of us that have medium computers so like not beasts but not potatoes either mm -hmm. uh we'll see some improvements or at least more granular control over that performance yeah uh, i'll say that i'm running fabric with optifine and optifabric so it's not the vanilla game right now um so i don't know and i haven't tried to play the vanilla game in a while because in order to get it to run for all of us we have to run fabric on the server so even if i didn't have any client side stuff going on um the server would still have some stuff on it um I don't and haven't played in an, just a plain vanilla world since I think the 117 snapshots, which yeah. again, I had the same screen stutter issue that I've, I've continued to have. Um, the one thing I wish that they would include in these new settings, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, is like a tool tip. Like if you hover over something, I'd love for them to say, this affects performance. Yeah. You know, and this is how much. It's like, hey, you want to uh, change the biome blend? Uh, anything above an eight is going to be really hard for mediocre systems. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. have to be technical, just kind of layman's terms. Like the lower this is, the easier it's going to be for your computer, which I understand is kind of like everybody gets that. But there's a certain threshold, I think, with some of these settings where, you know, people will say, um, you know, the average person should be okay with a 16 chunk um what's it called uh something distance simulation um, distance simu simulation distance yeah and if that's if that's common knowledge then like having that in like a hover over setting it's like you can set it at low medium or high or you know anywhere's along these chunk lines and as you get to a certain distance it says like by the way this is going to be very taxing unless you have a very beefy computer yeah uh, rather than just leaving it up to trial and, and error for the the player however all that said i think it's excellent to give granular control in the minecraft settings not in some text file you know to be able to um get more out of minecraft and allow players that maybe not don't have um a, a decent machine um to to experience caves and cliffs the way that the developers intend yeah definitely um i think that tooltip thing is something that optifine actually adds so we've, yes. we've definitely mm -hmm. seen it in action and i i do find those tips invaluable a lot of the time so definitely worth considering uh if if that could be in vanilla minecraft i think it would save a lot of confusion over what a lot of those settings are like what even are mip maps or whatever you know yeah um, well i use it a lot for shaders when when back when i was attempting to play with shaders and could play with shaders on my mac before minecraft started acting strange on that 
system as well. Um, but when I could do that, uh, I would always go through the shaders and kind of take out the stuff that like I didn't care about, but also was just like, oh, by the way, this really increases um, rendering time and causes a lot of lag. And I'm just like, all right, well, it's lens flare anyway, so I'm not JJ Abrams, so yeah. no, uh -huh. I don't need those. Uh, and just completely remove them. And it's like, well, my computer will be happier for it. Um, moving on to uh, the, the one uh, quality of life change that I didn't know I wanted and, or rather, I didn't know would ever get until they announced it, which is the feature of sprinting, uh, stopping when you brush your shoulder up against something. Yes, you can. I've always just thought can, that was part of the game. You can now sprint down your branch mine without like losing your sprint every couple of blocks because you're too close to one wall or the other. Is basically what yeah. this translates to. Oh, I it's a great change. Like I'm I'm embarrassed to say that this wasn't top of my list, you mm -hmm. know, because it's something that I get very frustrated by, but have not um I just again like I just kind of figured like, well, this is just how it functions. They're never going to change it, so I never thought to ask. Uh but uh yeah, I'm looking forward to that cuz that happens to me all the time, all the time. Uh and I'm looking forward to it. Now, hopefully the angles are forgiving enough that it's not almost the same as it currently is like i'm hoping that they um you know will let us let us know i'm sure there'll be some some quick you know player tests that'll say you know roughly a 20 degree angle anything more than that you're gonna bonk your head off the off the wall which is fine mm -hmm. but I'd, I'd like to know like i'd like to know how steep the angle is before it stops um i uh i've had that happen before with elytra as well i've brushed up against something with elytra and it takes me out of flight mode yeah very scary mm -hmm. yeah definitely <laughs> um before we move on from talking about the snapshot i wanted to bring uh your attention to something because i think it's kind of a, a cool approach and kind of falls in line with some of the stuff we've been discussing previously where i i, I said i would advocate for people actually checking out these snapshots before they start a more permanent caves and cliffs part two world but just because of how much has changed um, Boz from the 8-bit community, a bunch of uh, folks on Twitch that I follow, Boz is doing a challenge in 21W37A, and because he can't upgrade the world to any of the more recent snapshots yet, um, he's going to probably stick in that version until he can. He's doing a challenge where he's traveling 1 million blocks east and exploring the new terrain as he goes. And so on stream, he'll make like 20,000 blocks worth of progress. He's picking up materials and stuff as he goes. He's doing a little bit of caving. Uh, unfortunately, strongholds don't generate in that snapshot. So um, while he would probably get out of the radius where strongholds would generate pretty quickly, he's probably just unable to get elytra, but he wasn't planning on using elytra for travel anyway. The goal really is to explore the new terrain as he goes check out how some of the new biomes generate and just see a lot more of the the landscape new as it is um and one of the reasons i wanted to bring it up was that he found something that i had overlooked from rivers being larger in the previous snapshots this also applies to frozen rivers and you can travel really fast by boat on frozen rivers now because they're so much wider and he was using this to go at like lightning fast speeds down this river because you don't have to spend so much time worrying about the curvature of a river anymore with it being that wide you can drift and still stay on the ice and not get stopped every couple of blocks by some snow or some grass or something like that and uh i i just thought that's such a cool way to travel no pun intended i think that's uh you know something that i hadn't realized was going to be made better by the 
new approach to river generation but those wider rivers when they're completely frozen over perfect for like you know long distance travel and as long as the river keeps going and stays frozen you can travel thousands of blocks potentially that way it's a really fun to watch yeah i i forget about overworld travel with boat and ice and stuff like that like i i mean when's the last time you took um frostwalker enchantments right? yeah yeah right exactly like that kind of stuff could be could be fun in in the new terrain uh and it's something that i have been thinking about as well as like that no elytra challenge that mm -hmm. we've seen uh in different content recently and uh as the 118 snap snapshots or uh you know as the 118 release gets closer uh i'm thinking about trying to plan what i'm doing in the future and try to stay on the ground you know so i'm not um flying over stuff and having it um like they mentioned last week in the snapshot or the week before about stuff rendering in slower than the player can travel mm -hmm. and so um did you was there any of that happening because if the if the ice boat stuff that's pretty fast was everything still rendering in at a, a decent pace? It was still loading pretty well, yeah. So nice. Uh, I think Boz has a decent PC as well, but I think it's um, mm. yeah, it's 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 really just down to being down low. I think I think a lot of the time when you're up high with Elytra, it's trying to focus the rendering on the stuff that you can physically see, and a lot of that tends to be below you. And so when the landscape is kind of popping in sometimes it, it prioritizes loading the stuff that's directly below you and you don't fly you fly into a mountain is is typically the problem there with with chunk loading it and because you can take so much damage from the kind of kinetic energy force of hitting a wall i think that's sort of the the priority for them slowing down elytra is preventing too many unnecessary deaths from people colliding with stuff they can't see whereas on boats mm -hmm. naturally that's a little bit safer because you don't take damage from colliding with anything in a boat unless it's a drowned with a trident uh so there's there's a lot more potential for that to be uh to be a, a fun way of traveling in future i'm looking forward to seeing if, if the multi-thread changes affect my pc as well because i have a really good processor mm -hmm. i mean it's not brand brand new but it was pretty new when i bought it uh a, a year ago and uh certainly not being used i don't think as far as um its capabilities versus minecraft's um i guess behind the scenes but hopefully that will change so i haven't been playing in the snapshots i'm kind of holding out until they announce that we can move worlds forward yeah mm -hmm. um but uh, I might try to mess around in this one just to kind of see if there's any changes to um, to the world load because I just I've not had any luck messing around with different mods or plugins that are supposed to help with performance. I just I don't. If anything, I see a drop in performance, which is very strange, considering that the general feedback from a lot of these you know mod developers and people that use them is like oh this is great this really has helped me out on my older pc and that just doesn't seem to be the case for me so i'm not sure what the the issue is yeah i'm i'm assuming that they're going to hold off on making worlds upgradable within the snapshots until you can upgrade a 1.17 world to the snapshots like i i expect in terms of their priorities for upgrading worlds and and moving worlds forward a version it's going to be uh, the stuff that we're now seeing in the Bedrock beta, it's going to be generating old terrain, you know, with new chunks underneath it. I think that's mm -hmm. probably why we're not seeing uh, compatibil compatibility between any of the more recent, like, you know, development snapshots. But, but we will see. 
Moving on into the chunk mail. This, again, is our chunk mail dispenser episode. So instead of a main discussion, we're going to answer as many emails as we can fit into the show. If you'd like to email the show, the email address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Please use that email address and keep them brief if you can. That's the best way to get them on the show. Well, along with having a good point. But really, uh, brevity is uh, is one of the best ways to get our attention. Uh, this first email comes from The Stranger. So I'm not supposed to talk to strangers, so I'm not sure how to go <laughs> forward with this. But hey, we'll 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 do our best. Uh, Minecraft Dungeons DLC confusion is the subject of the email. Greeting, Pix and Joel. I have been saving up to buy Minecraft Dungeons, and I want to be able to play all of the DLCs and whatever extra levels are available. However, I am having difficulty understanding the language the Minecraft Dungeons website uses when it talks about the various bundles you can get. What is the difference between buying the standard edition with the ultimate DLC bundle and buying the ultimate edition? Do they include the same amount of content or do you get more content out of one opposed to the other? Thanks for your help, stranger. So I took a look at this as it's been a while. Um, uh, We did cover it at one point on the show when they released the full bundle packs, but the standard edition, currently 1999 USD, uh, is just the base game. But with any free DLC updates that the base game received as they came out. The ultimate edition, is the base game, DLC base game updates, and all six DLC packs. Those are your extra levels like Jungle and End and Howling Peaks and all that kind of stuff. And that's for $39.99 USD. It's the best value for those that don't yet own the game. It's everything for 40 bucks. The ultimate DLC bundle is $19.99 USD. And that is for people that already own the game, but not the DLC packs, or maybe even just one or two DLC packs. This is just the DLC. The ultimate DLC bundle is just DLC. Uh, They're all packaged together. It's ultimately cheaper than buying each one separately. I think each one separately is around, I think my version is six bucks. Are they $5 a piece? The DLCs in US dollars? I don't remember. Yeah, Um, something like that though. So anyway, there's six DLCs, so getting all six for twenty dollars is um, is a is a much better deal if yeah. you're going to go down down, down that route. Uh, if you um, don't have the game already and you know you want the DLCs, then the forty dollar is again the best value um, because it's still much cheaper than most um, AAA games, uh, and there's a lot of content there as we've covered on the show. The only thing that's a bit confusing for me uh which uh, i did dig into on steam the steam ultimate edition gets you uh high-res images as well as the soundtrack to the game uh and the uh hero cape uh that you get as well uh that wasn't clear on the website if that comes in with the ultimate edition so in in looking on steam if you drill down into the content for this game you will see that the uh, Hero DLC, which is the Cape, the Ultimate Edition digital artwork, and the Ultimate Edition soundtrack are free to download uh, separately. So you don't have to buy it on Steam if you want that stuff. But I, I agree that I think that Mojang can be clearer as to what you get um, comparing Steam now on release to what's happening on the website. Um, but long story short, if the uh, soundtrack and high-res artwork don't really appeal Uh, or aren't important to you, then as a non-Dungeons player, the Ultimate Edition is the way you want to roll. Yeah, definitely. Um, I expect a bunch of people probably bought the original game 
but then held off buying the DLC once they knew there were going to be a lot of them. Um, because we're Minecraft players, you know, we're used to thinking long term. And I expect that other people have seen DLC releases for other games and thought, you know, I'll hold off until there's a bundle. Um, so initially the hero edition of the game got you access to DLCs that weren't necessarily released yet, but the, the access just unlocked when they released them. Um, but in this case, all of the paid-for DLC is now out, so you can buy the whole thing at once in the Ultimate Edition. So I think that's um, that's probably the best shot. And, you know, it, it's it's effectively the same price if you bought the Standard Edition and then bought the Ultimate DLC bundle. It's still $40 US. It's basically the same thing. Um, and the soundtrack is available to listen on Spotify as well. So if if you listen to stuff on Spotify and you're okay listening to the soundtrack there, you can, you can do that too. Um... Which I still recommend in in general. Minecraft Dungeons is a is a great game. Um, it is really cool that the base game now has, like you said, stuff like um, ancient hunts to get gilded gear. That's not part of any of the DLC, even though it introduces environments that are available in some of the DLC levels. It's almost like you get a taste of that stuff without necessarily playing through the story levels that are unlocked with the DLC. Um, yeah, there's a few other things that have come in with the the base game now that just weren't there on launch, and that includes stuff like daily trials as well, and seasonal events like Halloween when they, they have events for that, so I think, yeah, re- really worth it, regardless of what edition you get, but uh, yeah, the Ultimate Edition is pretty good. This next email comes in from Justin P., uh, and they propose an additional use for a smithing table. Johnny and Joel, long-time creeper, though far less explosive, first-time email sender. I had thoughts regarding uh, a possible new use for the smithing table, as it seems somewhat limited in upgrading diamonds to netherite, and that's it. Personally, I was thinking of using banner patterns to add symbols to armor. Imagine having a group of server mates who share an emblem, like a flower for farmers or a globe for explorers. I'm sure griefers would love to have a creeper head. If you wanted to take it further, you could even use the banner patterns to create a reusable embossing item for use with the smithing table. Dyes could play in here somewhere as well. We already have precedents for both colouring and patterning battle items like leather armour and shields, respectively, so why not let us put a symbol on a chest plate? Love the show, guys. It always helps inspire me to try new things in Minecraft and beyond. Justin was slain by a zombie wearing a very stylish chest plate. (laughs) I wonder where he got that from. Um, So yeah, I, I think this is a solid idea. I'm definitely up for more smithing table uses, and we've talked about customization of items on previous shows. I think cosmetic changes like that help people feel a sense of ownership over their equipment, and even if that equipment turns out to be temporary, you know, you die in lava and whatnot, you can always remake it if you have, yeah, something like a reusable embossing item, even like a branding tool or something, uh, like the kind of traditional you know, not not like a cattle brand. I feel like, you know, a- attaching these symbols to cows might seem a little bit brutal. But, um, like, I think it could be a, a good thing to do. And if, for example, uh, Jeb's combat snapshot experiments end up being ultimately something they can theme a full update around or add that into an update that has more, more content to it, it could be a good time to in- introduce weapon and armor cosmetics and um yeah stylish touches like this because i think they add value for people who don't care for minecraft combat you can still look stylish even if you're not proposing to go into battle with this kind of stuff and i think the uh the use of banner patterns and stuff got me thinking about 
um, how it could also tie into archaeology when that arrives. The purpose of archaeology, as we've seen so far, would be to dig up various kind of symbols and assemble them onto a clay pot, was one of the features that was proposed at the last Minecraft Live. And so what if the designs you dug up could be applied to armor? You, you dig up a, a dragon decal that you can then slap on the center of a chest plate and you're wearing this sort of draconic styled armor as you go into battle. I think stuff like that could really, uh, yeah, could, could help create the feeling of there being different factions on servers or just kind of give a more stylish approach to armor overall. I mean, anything that addresses this kind of stuff that doesn't affect gameplay i always think is kind of a no-brainer you know mm -hmm. like i know there's obviously artwork involved and trying to figure out how the symbols would read on a you know that 16-bit pixel art you yeah know, for armor is, is 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 something else but but still like i think that it would be to personalize some things in minecraft even though i don't see myself in minecraft i still made my skin look like me you know like there's a certain amount of ownership that happens when you can do that kind of stuff yeah and i think that in early game too there's also a certain level of progression uh, you see it a lot in mod packs where armor will have different tiers. And as you get higher, more powerful iron armor, it starts to look different. Like it's not just iron. It actually has like a different helmet shape or you have a face mask or there's a feather on the top of it or whatever it is. It kind of gives you some sort of idea of progression. It's very, and a lot of video games do this where you get cool gear that you either never see because you're first person mm -hmm. uh, or or it's a, a social thing like an MMO where you are seeing other players all the time just like on a multiplayer server and it's going to be really cool if you've got a glowing green creeper head on the center of your chest plate at least I think so um, and that leads me to the next point which is I think combining this with the um, glow ink sacks would be very cool um, and also provide a way for something like if you wanted a black skull on your dark netherite armor in order for that to be seen having it have that kind of like neat glow outline that signs have when they do stuff like that mm -hmm. could be kind yeah. of fun uh you could have all kinds of things I, I think the idea that um armor tiers that would allow the wearer to personalize them even if it's just like dyed segments would be great so in addition to having a symbol on your chest i don't see why the edges of your iron shoulder pads can't be red blue green whatever right I, I feel like you could still do that in a way where people can say that's iron armor yes it has a red trim on it but like that's definitely iron armor so like pve and pvp doesn't get like affected too heavily mm -hmm. uh, or adds an extra challenge to it like trying to figure out you know what what a person is wearing so that you can decide oh i'm not going to tackle with that person they have a netherite chest plate um meanwhile you're being distracted by the fact that they have a giant creeper head on the front of it i don't know mm -hmm. um but i like the idea it's fun yeah, definitely, definitely. Could be uh, worth exploring in future, for sure. Next email comes in from Morphic, and uh, they are going to ask us about a previous episode, number 157. I've been listening to episode 157 of The Spawn Chunks and your discussion about a variety of design uh, dangers in the overworld in comparison to the end. And one thing that stood out to me was you mentioned the day-night cycle. What if the end went through a number of phases that could change how the environment in the end behaved this could be marked by the void sky changing color and the effects would only be applied to certain outer end biomes so that the dragon fight would be unaffected certain mobs might exhibit different behavior in different cycles like how spiders in the overworld are neutral in the daytime but are aggressive at night maybe there could be plants in the end that could produce some sort of liquid called end goop but only at certain phases in this cycle I know that the next update may not be the end update. Personally, I want a weather update uh, that would add weather to the nether as well as mixing up things in the overworld a bit, uh, but that's neither here nor there. 
McMorphic died to a cactus because he was distracted by an amazing podcast. <laughs> nice. Um, yes. I, I I love this idea. Yeah. Um, because of obviously people want a little bit more stuff added to the end, but I, I like the thinking outside the box that's going on here because the end is a fantasy dimension and it feels like an alien world. We don't need to stick to the normal rules of physics here. So I love the idea of the end having these kind of unpredictable, not even like weather phenomena, just kind of like sky phases and and stuff that's just a little bit off kilter about it. Stuff that helps the landscape feel alien instead of just barren, I think is a really cool idea. And so, yes, mobs being more passive in uh, in, in kind of different different cycles, different weathers, if you want to call them that, just for the sake of simplicity, um, makes a lot of sense. I, I kind of thought of having... Now we have dynamic biome fog and particles and stuff in the nether. Imagine a biome in the end or, or like a weather pattern that happens in the end where sort of you end up with the fog creeping in from around you. And if it's in a specific biome, maybe you don't see it from the outside, but as soon as you walk in, visibility drops and things get a little bit more misty. Maybe there's some particles around and then that adds a little bit of danger in the sense of like you could look at an enderman but you can't see he's there because of the fog but maybe enderman's eyes can see through it and you know th then you have to play things a little bit safer or be a little bit slower and um th there's stuff you can do with with weather and with not necessarily a day night cycle but whatever the end's kind of weird version of that is i can see imagination kind of running wild at that point and there being a lot of potential behind that I like the idea of having um, glowing eyes in, in some sort of fog, uh, especially if the glowing eyes for several different new mobs, for example, are all the same color. So mm -hmm. you're like, well, I'm looking at three pairs of pink eyes, but I don't know whether that's a giant Enderman, a regular Enderman, or some other new thing that I just, you know, you can't tell until you're on top of it. That could add some challenge and some danger and stuff to it as well. Uh, I, uh, I love the idea of the blank canvas of possibilities in the void sky to make it less voidy i guess yeah um, mm -hmm. i've played with a texture pack before just as, as a test where it turned the void sky into more like a nebulous purple kind of like spinning sort of dusty uh skyscape and it really does help with making it feel more like another dimension uh, again to bring up you know world of warcraft as an mmo when you go um to other dimensions in that game the sky is weird there's floating islands like that's it definitely does not feel like you're on azeroth and i feel like the end right now it just feels like you're in a video game you know like it doesn't really have a lot of atmosphere to it and fog and biome related fog as well as changing the skybox i think is just an, a very straightforward way to to add that i like the idea also of um different mobs having different times when they're aggressive not aggressive or Maybe they only produce a certain thing you want to collect at, at we'll call it night, you know, mm -hmm. or a certain one of these one of these cycles would be really cool. Um, something that I think is a kind of an underlying comment in in the email that I don't want to overlook too is that we don't have any like interactive plants like that in the game at all. Yeah, like none. Uh, a plant adversary, like thinking like you know Venus flytrap from you know Little Shop of Horrors, like mm -hmm. that kind of idea. I wouldn't want something like that, but like, you know, something unique like that would be uh, interesting, like a, a, an aggressive fauna, you know, or flora rather, uh, a 
especially if it's like sleepy at nighttime and awake during the day or vice versa. Uh, that could be really, really cool uh, and add a dynamic to the game that we've just never seen. Like what happens if you, can you harvest it? What happens if you pick it? If you mine it, can you bring it to the overworld? What happens in the overworld? If you plant it, does it affect other things? Does it change the ground? Like there's all kinds of cool stuff that you can get into with stuff like that. Um, I see you stole my idea for nether goop and called it end goop, but I'll allow it. <laughs> yes, the goop is very popular, it turns out. Um, and yeah, like I, I think the, the closest thing we have to aggressive flora in uh, vanilla Minecraft is wither roses. So I like the idea right. of it being a more animate thing. And that's sort of where the Minecraft Dungeons uh, Jungle Awakens DLC kind of touches on. They have whisperers and, and leaf leapers in that, which are the, mm. the effectively like the, the they, they remind me of the plants from Jumanji, where it's like, you know, there are some that just straight up eat you and there are some that shoot poison darts and things. You know, there's, mm -hmm. there's, there's potential for stuff like that to be included. And like I said, the end is such an alien landscape that you can you can sort of do whatever you want with it i just i like the idea of the dimension itself being very uncanny and things not working the way we ever expect um because the overworld is so like you know is, is so influenced by reality you know is so familiar that the end just feels like it should be the opposite of that somehow it's got you know floating islands the void is all around you and things grow in weird ways um, so yeah, may maybe something that branches off from chorus plants gives us a new species that way, and you know, the there's there's so many different layers of potential physics that you can add to the end to make it a more interesting and challenging dimension. So yeah, l lots of ideas floating around for uh, for the end update for sure. This last email we're going to read today comes in from Ezra or Solid Rock Carter, and the subject is the end game for non-builders. Hello Joel and Pix, I've been playing Minecraft for almost seven years now and I don't really associate with any kind of group. I build, explore, PvP and do redstone. I know both of you are builders, but my question is what is the end game for non-builders? When you reach the end game you typically build farms and then have access to almost every block in the game, but what do you guys do personally besides build? Thanks for the amazing podcast, Solid Rock Carter. So my first kind of like gut reaction to this was like this is i think where modded minecraft takes off and becomes so popular especially yeah. the technical stuff uh like industrial engineering and applied energistics and stuff that gets very complicated and provides a lot of end game um you know compound complication stuff for technical players to enjoy um because i feel like for people that think about minecraft as having an end once they've done the things I don't see them returning to Minecraft or at least vanilla Minecraft um, very often. I, I would imagine they probably spin off and try other things. Maybe that's where PVP comes in, you know, joining group servers, playing maps on bedrock, that kind of thing. Um, I, I don't really feel the, the desire to build versions of farms that I already have. So even as mechanics change in expansions and new um, releases from Mojang, if I've got uh, a gold farm on the server and they change the way that gold farms work where I could make it more efficient or I could build a new one, as long as the old one is working, I don't feel the pull mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, to build a new one. Um, however, that said, like I don't have all of the farms on the sigil that we need or want. And those that we have very often, they are community farms. And so one of the things I'm trying to do is uh, as 
opportunities arise to say we either don't have this farm or it's really old and small. Good example is our sugarcane farm. The one sugarcane farm that we have that's used for everybody in the server is small and it's never loaded because people have moved away from Dartmouth Meadows and it's it's no longer pumping out sugarcane all the time. So uh, one of the things that I'm looking at doing is coming up with some new ways uh, to, to get paper and stuff like that on my own uh, to either kind of boost an economy back into the server and sell or just as a, an excuse when I want to do something technical, uh, especially if I'm doing it in a zone that I'm playing already. I put up a temporary dripstone farm just outside of the um, the medieval town that I'm building in because I'm always there. And so I've built up about a shulker box full of dripstone because like, the, you know, I don't think I'm going to need a lot more than that. But because it was there and I was it was always loaded, that's kind of was the best option for me. Um, I When I'm in the mood for technical stuff, though, uh, I have noticed that I get drawn to things that I haven't attempted yet. So even if we don't necessarily need one on the server because someone's already made a small, you know, shulker farm or um, or other kind of farm, I'm finding myself like when I want a big technical project. The last time, thankfully, Moss was in the game. So like that was my big, you know, technical, you know, um, diversion from from building for a while. But right now on the server, even though we have a single ocean monument, very modest uh, guardian farm, there is a location on the server where there are two ocean monuments within render distance. And so I've never attempted a double guardian farm. I've not seen them very often. And I know that there's even ways to make one guardian farm extremely fast. So I thought that would be a fun challenge, you know? So as an end game player, that kind of stuff is what draws me in. It's the kind of stuff that when I'm not in the mood for building, it's the kind of stuff that even though the server might not need it, it's something that I as a player have not attempted before, I think. Yeah. Um, the only other thing that comes into my mind would be branching out and doing something really custom, like uh, doing a, a building in the sci-fi zone, but coupling that with doing my own texture pack for that sci-fi zone. Mm -hmm. So like giving a skin to zombies and skeletons and removing any sort of fantasy reference in the game and creating some sort of sci-fi feel to it. Uh, but that just ends up being to me, a, just a huge project. And it just, it involves as much time outside of Minecraft as it does in. Yeah. 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 I, I, I have a, a variety of approaches to end game stuff that isn't building. And it's something that I ended up having to do a lot on survival guide because building doesn't necessarily come across as well on youtube if you're making like a tutorial series because unless you're doing tutorials specifically for the build people don't always take it as oh yeah, this is just a kind of inspiration kind of thing like people are more interested in like more micro level tutorials for stuff and so i tended to vary what i did in the game quite a lot and i found that one of the most interesting things to do in minecraft sort of like what i was saying earlier actually is to find the stuff that you've never done in Minecraft. And even if you've been playing for seven years, I've been playing for seven years, there's certainly a lot of stuff that I don't tend to do very often, like breeding turtles so you can get turtle shell helmets, you know, running the whole set of potions, like, you know, lingering potions and things like that as well. The stuff that you find sort of superfluous in Minecraft, go back to that stuff and find out what's good about it figure out if there is any way you can use it even though you normally avoid it because for practical reasons it doesn't make a whole lot of sense you know if you want lingering potions maybe consider using them for mini games if you end up playing mini games on a multiplayer server you know th there's 
different stuff that you can use so many different parts of Minecraft for that most of the time we don't tend to bother with because we're used to just the stuff that we need to get by in survival. And so I think it's it's kind of important to explore those other aspects and, and, and touch parts of the game that you don't typically tend to do. Um, outside of that, exploration is about to kick off in a really big way with Caves and Cliffs Update Part 2. So I honestly think exploring and raiding structures is quite a common one, and exploration is going to be a massive part of what makes this update good for a variety of different playstyles? If you don't want to build something, just go and find, like, the coolest mountain. You know, search further than you ever have. Even, you know, when it comes down to, like, starting a new world and just seeing what you get at spawn and explore out in different directions. And then there's stuff like I was doing later in Survival Guide, which is, you know, treating Minecraft more like a scavenger hunt and collecting one of everything. Um, you know, because then you can at least make sure that you've touched on all of the different stuff that you can do in the game uh, on at least a surface level. But then you can start to treat it like a kind of a collectathon almost. You know, you can you can try and iron out all of the things, like start a checklist even and just grab as much stuff as you can from the checklist and then see if you feel inspired to do anything with any of that in the process because you forgot that you know, chiseled nether brick was a thing, or, or anything like that. I, I honestly think deep diving some of the lesser explored aspects of Minecraft is one of the most rewarding aspects for people who feel like they've seen it all, because there is so much stuff in the game now, you can't hold it all in your head at once, and you just, there's going to be something that you've overlooked at the end of the day. I think too, if you're going to be doing all that kind of exploring, and you are a technical player, then once you've found a cool thing, <clears throat> pardon me, finding a way to get back and forth efficiently you know whether that's a nether tunnel piston bolt ice boat road like whatever it is there's a project in there somewhere mm -hmm. yeah definitely like lots and lots of end game projects that will sometimes just be tiny quality of life things and sometimes quality of life things you have to put an enormous amount of effort into like piston bolts just to travel a little bit faster or like hands-free or whatever but I think those are the projects that end up being rewarding and Minecraft has always been about setting like those player set objectives for yourself so it's really about digging deep and figuring out what aspects of the game compel you at that moment and what can bring you forward into whatever you've got coming up next. Um, I think that's where we're going to wrap it up for this episode of The Spawn Chunks, though. Thank you so much for the emails. We've got some really great emails uh, for this show, so so keep them coming. Um, you can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show is composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, please consider putting in some value back in. You can visit patreon.com slash thespawnchunks to join our community, where pledging at any level will get you an invite to our patrons only discord chat you can listen to the show live as it is recorded every week and it gets us closer to our next milestone goal of having a monthly minecraft audio hangout with our patrons uh, we're currently at 296 patrons which is up four from last week's count of 292 so we are getting ever closer to the mythical 300 patrons Special thanks go out to our content engineers, Hunter555, Jumbo Sale, and Yitz. Thank you for your support on this episode. 
Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. It's free. You can find us at The Sponge Chunks on Twitter and Instagram, but personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance and say, hey, you should listen to The Sponge Chunks, and you can find it on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Find the RSS feed on the spawnchunks.com. And the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the render distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixorifs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash where my Empire's SMP and Hardcore Survival Guide series are currently ongoing. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, where I do behind-the-scenes work for the aforementioned YouTube series, and that's also where events like Clash of the Creators happen from time to time. I'm also the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. And aside from that, I'm at Pixorifs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything I'm doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. You can listen to The Citadel Cafe, my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment, at thecitadelcafe.com. This past week, Lou and I talked about Only Murders in the Building, which is a comedy show, surprisingly, on Disney+, and the new He-Man on Netflix. No, not that one, the other one. It's the, the brand, brand new one. Uh, so I've, I watched that and we talked about it on the show. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I have been playing a lot of Satisfactory in Minecraft during the month of September. Uh, if you're curious about Satisfactory, there's going to be an update coming soon. So uh, I encourage you to check it out. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite and there's even more below us. Mm.